I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach. And today with us, we have Avinash from Deep Rooted. And in the last episode, which is part one, we discussed about what is the way in which we should start thinking about the fruits, what is the current um, cycle in which, you know, plants are produced, what is the supply chain, because it's important to understand where are fruits coming from, how is it coming to us, because food is such an important aspect of our life. So if you haven't heard the first episode, please go listen to that. Today, we're going to discuss in the second episode, what is the meaning of hydroponics? What is the meaning of organic? And what are the ways in which we can approach these? So I want, I want to go into two completely different aspects. One is I want to understand the life journey of a consumer. So like people are listening right now yeah. to us. I want us to think about what should their next step be on becoming more aware. So we'll start from the base. Like somebody is going to the local vegetable shop and uh, on the market and buying fruits and vegetables from there. Right? A, at that stage, what are the kinds of things that they should be thinking about and looking of? Then we'll get to what should the next stage of evolution, next stage of evolution to coming to this point that we're talking about sustainability. So right from that stage, somebody sitting in Ludhiana, for example, right, going yeah. to the market, buying something. What should the next step, what should they be aware of? And then what should the next journey be? The most common myth is that the freshest produce is available early in the morning, right? So that's why people tend to go really early, either to the market or to your local grocer for fruits and vegetables. But that is truly not the case, right? The freshest vegetables tend to be available in the evening because the chances are that it was harvested few hours before in the morning, right? So what you typically get uh, in a market or in your nearby grocer in the morning would have been harvested actually practically the previous day morning it, through an intermediary led chain it will come to the market and your local grocer goes to the ma um, market in the morning and picks up the produce and stocks it so the most common myth that we also hear from our consumers is i tend to buy in the morning because it's the freshest there's a great chance that it is not the freshest because its life cycle is far longer than what you know a grocer may buy in the morning to sell it in the evening right so that's just a common myth that you know i mean it's not really true that uh, morning produce is the freshest produce right uh, to your question of uh, you know how should the consumer actually evolve i mean these are the basic questions right i mean the first question especially maybe i'll talk about uh, three categories if you will right you if you take the most highly perishable i mean rarely we are concerned about the shape of a potato and an onion because they are not perishable uh, if you take greens, right, the most common thing to you want to know is when was it harvested and uh, where was it grown? Again, there's a good chance that your local grocer may have no idea because he's buying from an aggregator. But uh, there's a, it makes a great difference if it was grown 50 kilometers away from the city or if it was grown 150 kilometers away from the city. The sheer two hour, uh, hours additional transit means that, you know, it may not be fresher. Your local grocer also may not be able to answer uh, how was it grown, um, what was the processes followed, because again, it's an intermediary-led supply chain. But yeah, from a quality freshness point of view, a simple question of where was it grown or which region was it grown? And um, when was when did he buy it or when was it harvested is a sort of a very hygiene question. And also a counterintuitive point is in greens, you know whether it's fresh or no, because if the leaves 
looks shriveled or shrunk you know that you know either it's not fresh or it was a it's a very old produce um then there are a certain set of produces like your greens and capsicums and cucumbers which can actually last for you don't harvest those every day in the field they are like an alternate day or once in three days sort of a harvest cycle they tend to remain fairly uh, fresh and um, 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 a good quality even though it is harvested after one or two days right uh, there it's not about uh, where was it grown but yeah probably when was it harvested right did you receive the produce today morning or was it yesterday uh, again the physical indications of them being soft slightly becoming paler in color a green capsicum starts becoming gets uh, you know gets wrinkles or um, uh, color starts becoming pale and then um, are there uh, tips and I, tricks that the grocers use to keep them fresh things that we need to be watching out for things that we need to be yeah they tend to sprinkle water um, most of the times on top of the produce they tend to keep um, sort of rotating the produce uh, over and above uh, i mean so that uh, the same produce is not getting exposed to the sun so if it is not a, if it is an uh, if the produce is kept in the open yeah that's what they tend to do that they keep rotating the uh, produce taking the ones that are underneath and bringing it to the top bringing it i mean sprinkling water on top of it sprinkling water on top may help to some extent but if you do it for 8 to 10 hours over a greens the chances are that yeah it starts getting uh, 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 decayed as well right so um so some of those elements uh, in fruits we talked about it right i mean most fruits yeah uh, while there are a good set of local fruits that's why if you see watermelons right they are cut open usually in the roadside when they are selling they tend to cut few pieces open just to show that it is extremely red inside but yeah the chances are that uh, uh, you don't know like in in melons you do something called as a tap test right yeah if the sound is actually fa- appears fairly dense it means the chances are that it's a well ripened ma- uh, uh, melon as opposed to if the sound appears hollowish the chances are that it's not a, a well um, uh, well ripened melon right so uh, uh, a whole lot of uh, uh, things for sku wise by sight some of them are definitely visible that's why lady's finger you tend to sort of crack it, crack it open at the tip a crispier one means that it is it is not over mature and it is of the right uh, uh, maturity for you to consume beans also you tend to crack open at the tip so for every produce in the lack of a, uh, a lack of a tech enabled supply chain visibility these are the common tips and tricks that most consumers and even like when we go out to shop if at all we go step out to buy in an offline shop these are the most common tricks or tips that uh, people used to buy Lovely. So, so we start off with the local market, right? What is the next evolution of this? Is it a, is it an organized structure? Is there going to like, for example, a nature's basket? What would the next level of uh, awareness be? Yeah. So, I think the again the most common consumer mindset is a Kirana store tends to have better quality than a modern trade store. The reason being, your Kirana store guy is actually going and hand picking the produce early in the morning. and then bringing it to his shop um kirana stores tend to have lower variety and more focused set of products than a modern trade store um and therefore consumers still walk across uh, their home/apartments and buy in a kirana store um the next wave of uh, organized uh, retailer would be your modern trade stores uh the way they would operate is most of them tend to have a collection center which is a which is you know in a village where 
which is a vegetable or a fruit cultivation zone. They farmers come and give the produce there. They take it from that center to their main warehouse in the city, and in turn, it gets graded and then it comes to the shelf, right? So um, again, in a, in a modern trade uh, uh, environment, uh, fruits and vegetables are important as a footfall driver. So they tend to focus on quality. Uh, but again, the way uh, most modern trade operates, which is uh, which is this multiple exchange of hands, means that as I said, if you walk into any modern trade in the evening, uh, you will not be really enthused with the quality of the produce because yeah, it's 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 24 to 48 hours uh, um, uh, since the harvest, right? Uh, but yeah, it, from a from an organized uh, environment point of view. Yeah, after the Kirana stores, it will be the modern trade um, uh, stores. Would it be a level next, up for the consumer? It will be a level up from a consumer from a, a variety point of view, maybe. Hmm. Uh, from um, from um, from a it's it's always subjective. I mean, I wish uh, I wish there was a straightforward answer for this. Therefore, people don't have a single source for all of their fruits and vegetable needs, right? Because there's no guarantee that. Uh, you walk into any Kirana store or a modern trade store, uh, the next day you go, the produce will be of the same quality because they are not in control of the supply, right? I mean, today it could be farmer A, tomorrow it could be farmer B or an intermediary B, right? So practically... And the modern trade won't be able to tell you where it came from, how it was produced and all of that. That they won't be able to. No, largely no. I mean, yes, here and there for some products, for some categories, some modern trade, they may be able to, but uniformly no. Because of the way they operate is an aggregator-led model where uh, in a center, in a village, farmers are expected to come and give the produce, which in turn they take and handle, right? So the, the set of farmers that come, there's no traceability back to the farm. I could have collected from your farm and given it to a modern trade center. They, they may tell it's from Avinash's farm, but uh, yeah, there's no guarantee, right? So um, from a, yeah, from... I don't think it's a black or white in terms of from a quality point of view. Is that uh, is A better than B? The answer is no because of this lack of control in the supply chain. Lovely. Then after that, what would be the next step of evolution? I think, yeah, from a channel point of view, yes, a lot of your uh, uh, large e-commerce players, uh, right, sort of after all other categories now are figuring out how to uh, uh, solve for the fruits and vegetables or the grocery space, right? Because it's extremely unique in the challenge that it brings with because of the perishable nature of the produce, right? So there is no one-size-fits-all solution, right? So uh, uh, it's not that... Uh, but not not from a channel point of view, but I'm saying leavening up from a quality point of view. Yeah, so what exactly, was the yeah, next so, quality? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I was coming to that. So again, even there, are e-retailers today the benchmark for quality in fruits and vegetables? The honest answer is no, right? So while while they have made early and good inroads into groceries, I think no no consumer today is whole and sold relying on an e-retailer alone for their fruits and vegetables simply because of the lack of consistency and quality, right? And that is the big gap that we have seen, right? In order to build an end-to-end supply chain, which sort of, convinces the consumer that we can be a one-stop shop for their fruits and vegetables needs as opposed to them trying to walk across the home and then realize oh today palak is not good here let me go there right and why is that not happening it is not because of any front end or technology challenge on the front end but it's it's about all the work that has to happen on the supply side 
day in and day out to ensure that the produce comes with the right quality and freshness uh, to the consumer. Okay, lovely. So there is this a slightly better option there. What would the next step in quality be? Um, in terms of uh, uh, the quality, consumer, consumer. If you want the again, I think the fundamental answer is there is no one source today. Hmm. which can which can convince so the where would you get to that, organic where would uh, organic fit in where would hydroponics fit in how would that evolution be yeah so those are subcategories so today organic has become a moniker for clean fruits and vegetables hmm. right uh, organic is a way of cultivation where you are not using chemicals either as a uh, uh, input to the soil for the plants to uptake nutrients or spraying chemicals on the plants right uh, so again sources which claim organic can they validate whether it is truly grown in an organic manner 8 out of 10 the chances are no because because there is no there is no traceability built back into the supply chain if you ask an average consumer right what does organic mean to you they answer it as clean right without without going into the technical definition of what truly organic means right that's point number 1 Point number two: What about greenhouse and hydroponics? Yes, they are means to use the uh, or means to use to grow the produce in a um, contamination-free, clean manner without spraying chemicals and grow the same quality throughout the year. So, if an average consumer who's slightly uh, knowledgeable about the means of growing tends to relate that a greenhouse or a uh, polyhouse or a hydroponic-grown produce. tends to be of better quality than an average open field produce and the reason for that is yeah in these methods of cultivation you are actually controlling a whole lot of element that goes into growing the uh, crop in a certain manner and and you are not relying only on nature or soil for uh, for ensuring that the plant grows in the right manner so um again the target audience that we i talked about which is 25 year old to 45 year old i think are extremely articulate and nuanced today and are able to identify the differences between a greenhouse and an organic or they understand the differences between the two before going ahead we'll take a quick break welcome back let's jump into the conversation let's discuss them right now Let's go to each of these uh, topics and just discuss what is open. What do you mean by open field? What do you mean by greenhouse? What do you mean by organic? What do you mean by hydroponics? Because yeah. I, I know a lot of the whenever I discuss hydroponics, for example, with the listeners and in, on Instagram, people wonder what it is. So let's go and define each of these categories. Yeah. So again, each one of them is a different means of cultivation. Um, I'll start with the most commonly known or or what has been around uh, for a while now, which is organic. Hmm. um organic means using no chemicals uh, hmm. to grow the plants right so when or where in a life cycle does a plant require chemicals the roots which are in the soil absorb nutrients for it to grow right you can you can either solely give them natural based inputs uh compost manure etc uh you enrich the soil over time and make it adequately balanced enough using all natural means you grow the plant there it absorbs nutrients from those and then it grows right but at its core the chemical constituents are same as what a water soluble fertilizer would be used right so that's one means so you don't use chemicals even even in the uh, uh, as nutrients uh, to the plants 
The second is actually what you spray on the plants. And why do you spray on the plants? Uh, either uh, in times of uh, uh, certain seasons or naturally they attract pests. One of the ways to ward off pests is to spray certain uh, things on the plant, uh, which acts as a deterrent for the pest to sort of uh, destroy the yield or, uh, you know, uh, destroy the quality. Now that actually, again, in organic cultivation, they don't use any chemicals. So there are natural means um, like neem oil and there are a whole set of uh, natural inputs that they tend to spray on the plant instead of uh, uh, using chemicals. So that's organic. Um, now, how does a produce become certified organic? The true way is actually you go through a process depending on what the farmer was growing previously in that piece of land. You go through a period of no cultivation where you where the uh, and where you enrich the soil with natural in inputs such that whatever chemical was, may have been used earlier, there are no more traces of that in the soil and you've enriched it with natural means. So depending on what was grown, it is a one to three year process to get rid of the soil of its uh, artificial chemicals, so to speak, and then you grow. Um, is there a is there a well-established auditing process in general to figure out if something is organic or no? I think no. Organic is generally a very trustworthy category. People, people if they choose to trust someone who claims to be organic, then for them that produces organic irrespective of what may have been happening at the back end. Um, now coming to uh, uh, the, the next level of uh, uh, technical cultivation is protected environment cultivation, which means you give an artificial structure around the plants uh, and protect it from a harsh sun, rain and pests, right? So even within and those structures are called greenhouses or polyhouses. Um, now within that you can either grow in soil or, or you can grow in a soilless manner. Most people who grow within greenhouses use drip irrigation, right? Uh, you are not use you are not doing flood irrigation where you create natural channels and you uh, you have a drain of water there and the plants grow. No, you tend to use drip irrigation. Whenever drip irrigation is used, you use what is what is called as water soluble fertilizers, right? So again, as a just as a comparison, not one versus the other in organic. What natural uh, chemical may be found in a manure like a nitrogen or a calcium phosphate? Here, you take the calcium phosphate, you dissolve it in water and you give it through a pump into the depirigation, the plants pick up, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, as fertilizers, you use water-soluble fertilizers, which are chemicals. All of them are approved for use in uh, horticulture, right? Or cultivation. Within a greenhouse, the advantage is the pest attack tends to be minimal. So you really don't have to spray any chemical on the plant. So um, uh, again, what we do is we grow in a greenhouse. We are hydroponic. We use drip irrigation, which means we use chemical or water soluble fertilizers for the plants. But on the plant, we don't spray any chemicals because we are using other means to protect the plant from uh, diseases. Um, the advantage of hydroponics uh, or polyhouse versus an open field cultivation is your quality, your output tends to be more deterministic than open field cultivation. You're not dependent on nature for the right amount of sunshine or, you know, rainfall or pests not appearing, etc. Right. So here you are actually controlling all of those elements. So uh, your yield tends to be higher your product quality tends to be more uniform 
and you're also able to deliver on the promise of a clean produce if you grow it within a greenhouse as opposed to growing it in an open field manner. Uh, so that's a fundamental difference. And for a farmer, more predictable the output means that, yes, I mean, his crop cycle is remunerative and, uh, you know, there's better income, right? Um, um, Can greenhouse products be considered organic? No, in India, by technical definition, no. The organic certificate is given only to what is grown in soil, uh, right? In the manner that I talked about where you go through a process. Hydroponics or greenhouse grown produce today in India technically cannot be classified as organic. Uh, while in the US, hydroponic produce, I think last year um, there was a change in uh, regulation there where true hydroponic growers uh, can actually claim to uh, uh, or can call their produce organic. In India, it is not yet the case. Um, the difference between polyhouse and hydroponic is going one step deeper in terms of the level of control that you exercise in the cultivation. So in greenhouse, you tend to grow again using soil, which means, again, there is a certain degree of dependency on, on, on the kind of soil, what was grown earlier, etc. Here, you are completely removing that. You either grow in water or you grow in what is called as cocoa peat, uh, um, which just acts as a physical anchor uh, to the plant as opposed to that being the main source for nutrients. So uh, irrespective of whether cocoa peat is used or water, again, the fundamental nutrition program or philosophy is water-soluble fertilizers. And here you've got to exercise much more control. You are able to monitor how much is the plant uptaking by, by you know, um, doing measurements called as TDS, total dissolved salts. By measuring that, you are able to understand and predict you know, how at the rate at which the plant is growing and things like that. So um, there is even more greater control and chances of even more greater predictability in the output quantity and quality in hydroponics when it comes to polyhouse. The flip side is because you are controlling every element of the cultivation, uh, The if you have only yourself to blame, so to speak, if the yield goes wrong, right? Because it's not that there is soil which acts as a buffer. If you're growing in an open field, if you tend to spray excess urea or if you give excess urea, the soil absorbs it, right? I mean, so the soil acts as a great buffer for any excesses uh, that a farmer may um, uh, do by way of cultivation. Uh, but at the same time, if there is deficiency, the farmer can't help it beyond a certain point. In hydroponics, that's not the case. There is no buffer. There is just the grower or the cultivator and then there is the output. Right. So the flip side of doing uh, uh, a greenhouse or B polyos cultivation is you are controlling everything. So you've got to be extremely vigilant, disciplined um, about the way you cultivate. But yeah, if someone if someone is indeed all of that, then the output is, un, I mean, undoubtedly significantly better. Right. Because you don't have to grow anything 200 kilometers away like our farm when we began is actually was actually just 50 kilometers away, um, rather is 50 kilometers away from the city, right? So imagine um, growing there, harvesting it in the evening at six, delivering it to you next day morning seven. It's just about 12 to 14 hours between harvest and uh, um, uh, it reaching you, right? So the quality and the freshness is unparalleled uh, uh, when it comes to polyos and hydroponic, if done in the right manner. Um, so those are the various means of cultivation. Obviously, there are 
you know it can be done at different scales it can be done in a rooftop it can be done in a half an acre scale it can be done in a large industrial scale um if you look at the western world there's why are they doing polyos cultivation they are doing polyos cultivation to solve for heat right uh, they have extreme climatic conditions where the temperatures are extremely lower so they build greenhouses um, and they give it artificial light they give it uh, artificial heat so that they get the output in india you are not building greenhouses to solve for heat or light because we are abundantly blessed with both of them right of course we have a, a varied climatic zone but on an average we don't have to solve for light or heat what people try to solve for or what farmers try to solve for when they put greenhouse is to get predictable output because you are spending money on inputs labor etc if you grow in open field the output is not predictable in terms of quantity i'm forget i'm i'm, I'm ignoring their market access problem etc but just the output is not predictable so most farmers who have invested in a greenhouse infrastructure in india are trying to solve for the quantitative and qualitative output that they get uh, as opposed to solving for a, a, a fundamentally key uh, weather related challenge uh, unlike in the west you know because hydroponics is so interesting like i was uh, watching a, a show where elon musk's brother is building these hydroponic towers in yeah. uh, old parking lots in various cities right so he's basically putting these um, these container cartons you know those container ship cartons and those yeah. uh, boxes and inside them he's growing in greenhouse and you can stack them up yeah for people who've never seen a hydroponics farm can you describe it what does it look like um so um, um it has a physical enclosure so to speak if you're doing it in uh, in the uh, external world uh, it it can either be grown at a ground level or you can also have vertical slash semi vertical structures again in the west when people are doing indoor cultivation they are solving for light therefore they tend to grow in old uh, uh, unused warehouses where the where the cultivation happens in a vertical manner in india it is not the case land is abundant in fact land is lying unutilized today right light is abundant so most hydroponic cultivation in india happens in the outdoors uh, uh, within a greenhouse if it is grown in a coco peat you have pots or you have channels made where you fill it with coco peat and then you sow the plant in a traditional manner and it grows in a traditional manner as i said you will either have drip irrigation a common um, a common architecture within hydroponics that is used is to grow it in water so you create ponds uh, which are which are maybe one and a half feet uh, deep you fill it with water and then you top it up with nutrients um and then you have styrofoam sheets with small holes made which have cups uh the plants actually grow within the cup so when it comes to harvest all you do sort of is pick up the cup you chop the root and then it's ready for uh, consumption actually literally you can you can have it right there in the farm right so um and and most of the hydroponic infrastructure tends to uh, be equipped with certain fans dehumidifiers uh which as i said you know helps to either bring the temperature down or bring the humidity down because each of those uh, uh, uh parameters actually affects the uh, way the produce is grown right so if you walk into a green if you walk into a hydroponic uh, greenhouse anywhere in the country um yeah you this is what you commonly see where either you have pots and you have coco peat and they're growing it or you have 
ponds made where plants are floating, so to speak, on a styrofoam sheet with their roots in the nutrient solution and uptaking it. And over and above that, there are various degrees of sophistication. Like, you know, you can have uh, uh, automated controllers, which actually sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, bring in the, bring down the temperature or as in with the humidity process at certain threshold, the dehumidifiers get switched on. Uh, uh, if temperature increases to a certain level, there are mists, uh, which actually sort of uh, 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 spray uh, water on the plant. So there are various degrees of uh, sophistication today. Of course, each one brings with its own advantage. Uh, but yes, there's also an element of actually cost when it comes to investing in these infrastructures. What does it cost to the consumer? So, you know, typically when we think, compare it from the market wala shop, the Kiranas, like you said, to the modern trade to buying organic or buying hydroponic, how should a consumer start thinking about the cost? What is the cost jumps? Yeah, so I think, uh, again, there's no black or white answer because when you buy in a Kirana sh- uh, a shop or wherever, the prices depend on the day, right? These are like commodity prices, right? As I said, now monsoons have started. The demand for greens is still the same. There will be supply-related challenges, so the price will spike up. At some other part of the year, there will be enough supply, so the prices will be lower, right? So there's no one straight price comparison that you can do, but what you can definitely compare is on the value, right? While inherently, um, the price of a hydroponic green tends to be uh, more than an open field produce in your local grocer, uh, the value that it brings, uh, a part of it can be quantified, a part of it is actually intangible. The part that it can be quantified is, if you buy one kg of greens or if you buy one bunch of 300 gram greens from your local grocer or wherever, when you come home, someone has to spend 20 minutes, right? You got to chop the root, then you got to segregate the bad leaves, then you got to remove dirt, all of that. Um, the benchmark result says only 50 to 60% of it is usable when you buy 300 grams greens. So when you do, when you see, when you compare the usable part, right? This difference of 50% getting wasted in the consumer mind does not get factored. They only see I'm paying X here, but you know, hydroponics is costing me one and a half X or two X. But the fact that 50% gets wasted means that your, your actual price that you would have paid for the produce is pretty much the same as in a greenhouse or a hydroponic produce, right? So one is that. Uh, so in a greenhouse or a hydroponic produce, as I said, it comes, tends to come without root. 90% of it is usable. Right, that's point number one. Point number two is just the freshness and the fragrance and the shelf life. Now, our own consumers are telling that when they buy greens from us, which is hydroponic grown, they can keep it in a fridge. And even after 10 days, if someone opens a coriander or a basil, it still continues to remain fragrant. Right, while it is usually not the case when you buy from an open field produce because it's already gone through 24 to 36 hours of being in the open, handled multiple times. Right, so the shelf life is shorter. The taste tends to vary. The crunchiness will definitely uh, uh, be much better. Uh, The shelf life tends to be better. It's much more easier from a cooking uh, experience point of view that you don't have to spend a whole lot of time uh, cleaning and things like that. So therefore, while the inherent price premium will be there, it may be 20% or 50% or 60%, the value that it brings sometimes goes, uh, you know, um, uh, um, uncomputed or uh, or it goes unsaid, actually, the benefits. Okay. But typically, what would the price increase be by? Just to yeah, as I said, yeah, it, can be, it can be anywhere in the range of 20% to 50%. Uh, 20 to 50% more. more. 
Yeah. Okay. And then the value is how you should start seeing it and thinking exactly. about it. Because I remember yeah, exactly. this. I remember the first time that I had bought hydroponics. I had never tasted fruits like, I mean, never tasted leaves like that in my life. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's comparable to anything that I had eaten abroad. It was just yeah. amazing. The quality. Yeah. And then you start so thinking actually, about people, it. People actually tend to make sometimes nutritional claims uh, that something grown in hydroponic is nutritionally better. I mean, even that argument aside, which technically need not be true because it's the same. If you start from the same seed, right? It consumes the same nutrients that it wants in the proportion that it wants as long as it's available, right? So even the nutrition value aside, the fact, the things that you are telling, whether it's the aroma or whether it's the taste, or whether it's the crunchiness or it's the and most of the greens by the way tend to be consumed rawish unlike um, unlike a vegetable especially in an indian cooking context which goes into a uh, tawa or which goes into a pressure cooker right most greens tend to be consumed rawish and therefore the taste is also very apparent to the user and therefore so, someone who makes a switch to greenhouse or hydroponic produce and gets accustomed to it, right? For them, if they switch back to a regular produce, it's extremely tangible. So they Im immediately know that, uh, okay, this tasting something different, right? So um, um, that is a big advantage. Like beyond a point, you don't have to sell the concept of greenhouse or hydroponic because to the user, by sight, by taste, by experience, uh, it just becomes extremely tangible. Okay, lovely, fantastic. Um, what are some of the final thoughts that you would have that you want to leave our consumers with, our listeners with? Yes. Yeah. So I think, as I said, I mean, uh, uh, um, if you look at an overarching ecosystem around health, wellness, I think clean eating is absolutely becoming a very important uh, facet, right? Uh, and amongst that, fruits and vegetables plays a very important role, right? So uh, from being a um, uh, low involvement category, it is slowly bubbling to a top of the mind conscious activity as to what they eat, when they eat, how they eat. Um, diet is becoming a very important element, right? And 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 in this journey, it is extremely crucial um, about how those fruits and vegetables are grown. Um, and today, I think consumers have adequate choices when it comes to embracing clean choices. Consumers have already are already embracing cleaner, sustainable choices. There is no reason why today consumers should not embrace a cleaner and uh, sustainable choice when it comes to fruits and vegetables, which I said is more a direct consumption related uh, um, thing in their life as opposed to fashion, right? Um, and, uh, um, and today there are choices around. Uh, 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 unfortunately, the flip side is, especially post COVID, there's been a lot of noise around uh, farm to home, organic, greenhouse, hydroponic, etc. Um, while the space has seen a lot of activity, it has also seen a lot of clutter. Uh, but my, my uh, humble suggestion or uh, a submission to the audience is that uh, we don't have to go by anything that everyone is claiming, right? If, if someone spends a little bit of time just sifting through the clutter and see who are these brands and players, who are truly there in it for the long run, right? Uh, who are able to address all of your concerns of not just where was it grown, but how was it grown and how is the promise of clean getting translated? How 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 are they how are they able to convince the consumer that their fruit is carbide free when it comes to ripening and things like that, right? So today choices are there. Some are not well known. So if a consumer spends a little bit of time 
they will be able to like relate to brands and embrace them and make it a core part of their living because uh, again as i said not a low it's a low involvement category but an extremely important category in our day to day um um uh, living right uh, so i think there are choices out there um uh, uh, sustainability is very important in uh, what we do be it with the farmers or be it with the consumers and it doesn't have to be one at the cost of another you don't have to short change a farmer to keep the consumer happy you don't have to overcharge a consumer to keep a farmer happy i think the the today the supply chain is heading in the right direction of ensuring an equitable balance between farmers and consumers options exist consumers just have to slightly sift through the clutter and they will find choices that are offering them fresh clean contamination free produce that will aid in the overall yeah clean eating and healthy living uh, aspect of uh, life actually lovely i think it's just asking the right questions becoming more concerned exactly. becoming more conscious about what's going in your mouth and the way that we're thinking about it yes exactly absolutely avinash how can people find out more about what you do and debruted yeah so i think uh, we are we have a fairly uh, so we have for especially audience in bangalore and hyderabad they can go to the play store or the app store and download our app deep space rooted is what they'll have to search for we also have an e-commerce website uh, people can go to deep-rooted.co they can read about uh, the brand the journey the philosophy the vision that with uh, with which we are working on uh, uh, would also urge uh, consumers in these two cities to give a try and experience for themselves and not just go by what i'm telling because practice what you preach so just don't go by um, what i'm telling please feel free to try our uh, range of produce so we are practically a one stop shop for um, um uh, fnb needs of a consumer lovely superb avinash thank you so much for coming on the habit coach podcast thank you thank you if you like this podcast don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can listen to us on the ivm podcast app or ivmpodcast.com you can also follow us on social media we are at ivm podcast on twitter and instagram if you want to reach out to me I am Ashtin Doc on Twitter and Instagram. You can find lots more information on my website awesome180.com or check out different content on my YouTube channel called AWESOME180. That's awesome180. Hey hey, it's been another great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On all things policy, Ananya Desai and Rohan Pai discuss recurrent bans on fireworks during festive seasons in India and discuss possible solutions to tackle India's air pollution problem. On the Habit Coach podcast, Ashton Doctor welcomes Sahil Mehta, an esteemed mountaineer and author of the book Break Free. Sahil shares a transformative experience which became the catalyst for embracing discipline and fulfillment. The episode explores the profound impact of vulnerability on personal growth. Folks, if you like our shows, do spread the word. Tell your friends and don't forget to rate and review them wherever you're listening to them. Follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. You'll also find all our shows on YouTube at youtube.com/ivmpodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Omidyar Network India, Abbott IDFC First Bank and Save Life Foundation thank you for making this possible